Hello, and welcome to another episode of TMX Presents, the podcast. I really hope you're enjoying the series. I'm Daniel Lubinetsky, Manager of Innovation and Life Sciences at the Toronto Stock Exchange and TSX Venture Exchange. This is where we have conversations with capital markets leaders from around the world. We look to gain insights from influential decision makers and visionary entrepreneurs helping to shape the future business landscape. As Manager of Innovation and Life Sciences for Canada's largest stock exchanges, my role is to work with private companies, industry stakeholders, and service providers to help facilitate the listing of innovation companies on our markets. In today's episode, we're going to talk about life sciences market with our special guest, Brian Bloom. Brian Bloom is co-founder of Bloom Burton & Co. and serves as the firm's chairman and chief executive officer. By forging unique relationships with international healthcare-specialized investors, Brian raises capital for Canadian healthcare companies while helping investors realize returns. Brian serves on the board of directors of Triumvira Immunologics, Apili Therapeutics, Satellos Bioscience, and King Biotherapeutics. Brian was formerly the chairman of the board of Grey Wolf Animal Health, a member of the Life Sciences Advisory Board at the National Research Council of Canada, the Dean's Advisory Board at McMaster University, and on the board of directors of Biotech Canada and the Baycrest Foundation. Brian, thank you so much for joining. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I get to add something else to my bio. I've been on your podcast. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining. It's great. We have a lot of conversations and I'm glad that we can finally get to record one so other people get to enjoy them as well. I look forward to this very much. Thanks, Dan. Excellent. So I think a lot of our listeners already know you maybe from seeing you within the industry, but maybe they don't know kind of how you got here. So for those of you that don't know you that well or really want to get to know you better, how did you get to become chairman, co-founder, and CEO of Bloom Burton & Co.? I'd be happy to tell you the story. So I, like most people at Bloom Burton, I have a scientific background. And like most kids who really loved science and medicine, my parents were hoping that I would grow up to be a doctor. But somewhere along the way, when I went to McMaster for my biochemistry undergrad, when I moved to New York to do my graduate work, thinking I would get my PhD and maybe then consider medicine after that, somewhere along the way, I really decided that practicing medicine and interfacing with patients and the healthcare system was not of interest to me. But I loved science and I loved medicine and medical technologies. So I looked into other things that I could do, whether it's law or working for a pharmaceutical company. And being in New York, I had a few friends who were on Wall Street and they spent their whole days assessing sourcing and performing diligence on biotech and pharma and other medical companies for the purpose of either making investments or advising others to make investments. And I didn't grow up with anyone who came from Wall Street or Bay Street. I really had no business people in my family who kind of mentored me in this direction. And I don't know why, but that whole concept really fascinated me. And so I pursued that as a career that was probably 20 years ago, the intersection of medical science and investing. And after spending a few years in New York and then moving back to Toronto, where I'm originally from, I moved to Dundee Securities, where myself and my partner at the time, Jolion Burton, and our other partners, David Martin and Armin Balboni, who were with us at Dundee, we looked around the Canadian 
ecosystem, and we noticed there was lots of great innovative companies, but not a lot of investment banking teams at the larger banks or at the boutiques who really dedicated themselves deeply to understanding and advising investors and companies in healthcare. And we decided at Dundee to be that team. So we sort of cut our teeth at someone else's firm, Ned Goodman's firm, for five years. And then in the depths of the financial crisis in 2008, we thought, now sounds like a great time <laughs> to, uh, to form an investment bank solely focused on Canadian healthcare companies. And that was now 14, 15 years ago or so. And here we are. So you can say that I do have a day job of advising companies and investors in biotech and healthcare, but certainly on the side, I happen to also be a founder and a CEO of an investment banking firm. Fascinating. Fascinating. And I think it's great that as you went through that journey, that educational journey, realizing that there is so much that can be done with that scientific background beyond as a practicing physician. It's so important that capital does go into pharmaceuticals and medical devices and other types of things so that physicians can treat patients with those products and with those services as well, right? It's all kind of one big ecosystem. So that's excellent. And so, you know, you mentioned about working at Dundee Securities and then starting your own firm, Bloomberton & Co. Kind of over the past couple of decades, how have you managed to navigate changing investment climates? You mentioned the financial crisis. We've had probably a few mini financial crises since then. You know, markets are always changing. So how do you really find the way to adapt within different investment climates and maintaining a leadership position in the Canadian healthcare and life sciences sector? That's a great question. We're... Very lucky in that one of the hallmarks of our firm and a core to its success is the fact that even though we pretty much restrict ourselves to serving Canadian companies in biotech, pharma, generics, medical devices, diagnostics, health services, or digital health software, the investors that we speak to happen to be mainly from outside of Canada. They're in New York and Boston and San Francisco and London. They're also in Vancouver, Montreal, and Toronto. But a vast majority of the investors that we speak to happen to be dedicated capital providers, whether they be venture capital or private equity, hedge funds or public market funds, credit providers, firms who do buyouts or loans or all sorts of different structures. But they happen to be dedicated to the healthcare industry, deeply, deeply sector-specialized and sophisticated investors who also, like us, have medical and scientific backgrounds and who dedicate their whole careers to the healthcare sector, those investors don't turn in and out of our sector based on the market being difficult or in a bear market or in a bull market. Generalist investors, whether they be in New York or generally in Canada, they turn to biotech when it's hot do healthcare when they understand it or when they feel they can make money. But we're competing against cannabis companies and banking companies and mining and oil and gas companies as those generalist growth investors in Toronto on Bay Street go in and out of the healthcare sector. But when I speak to a billion-dollar venture capital or a $5 billion hedge fund in New York or Boston, who all they do is healthcare, no matter what the investment climate is, of course, they may shift from higher risk or lower risk, small cap or larger cap or more liquid or less liquid situations, you know, their bar or their hurdle may change over time, but they are generally committed 
and there all the time, no matter what the market is. The other secret to Bloomberton's success, as the market goes up and down, and people sort of want to trade in or have nothing to do with the healthcare sector, is that we have a very diversified business. In addition to doing IPOs and follow-ons and prospectus offerings for public companies, which is how most banks make their money, we also have leading franchises in private equity, private debt, merger and acquisition advisory, restructurings and advisory on asset sales or division sales or acquisitions. So we do fairness opinions and other things like that. So when the markets are cool and stocks are low and we're no longer making our fees, advising on the issuance of public equity, which again is whether you're TD or RBC or Canaccord, that's the majority of your business. We actually have a very diversified business of being able to advise investors and companies in investing in healthcare that doesn't just necessarily include public offerings. So that diversified business keeps us having revenue and keeps us very relevant even during bad times. That's great. That's great. Something that you said there really stuck out to me and something that I kind of want to drill down on a little bit. You know, you were talking about how a lot of the capital, even for the companies in Canada, and there's a lot of great companies in Canada, but a lot of the capital is coming from outside of Canada. You mm-hmm. mentioned the United States, London, yeah. other places as well. And then you also mentioned that specialist investor, which yeah. in the US, there's a much deeper pool of those specialist investors versus in Canada, where even the pool of healthcare investors in Canada are still kind of more generalists within the space. So how do we as market participants in Canada, how do we get to that point where A, we can really broaden the investor base for life sciences and for healthcare, and B, get to the point where we've got really those specializations for the different aspects of life sciences, so that in the future, a lot of the capital for the Canadian companies will be coming from Canada. I actually don't think that's necessary. So where it is most necessary is at the startup stage and the venture capital stage. And I must say, we have those specialized investors. Our VCs aren't generalists. We have about six to 10 VCs in Canada, thanks in part to great fund of funds like BDC and Terra Lease, and the commitment of the federal government to fund fund of funds and to keep our venture capital industry alive and thriving since the financial crisis of 2008. So firms like Genesis and Lumira and Versant and CTI and FTQ, IGAN and others, whether it's medical devices or biotechnology or digital health like Esplanade and Whitecap, we actually have lots of venture capital money dedicated to the seeding, the creation, and the early stage private growth of companies. And that's great. That's where we need specialized money. And that's what is going to create the broadest pool of companies that can then go public on the Toronto Stock Exchange, go public on NASDAQ, and grow to become international companies. Whether the AGFs or McKenzie's or Pembroke's of the world, RBC Asset Management, whether our larger mutual funds or hedge funds in Canada invest and support our already large and established and public companies doesn't really matter. And it doesn't matter for a couple of reasons. As you mentioned, there's a huge pool of capital for already public companies that are also very comfortable, like, and those capital providers are in the United States or in Europe or in Asia. And thanks to the preeminence of the Toronto Stock Exchange being a, a major international exchange, those investors 
whether our companies are listed on the TSX alone or the TSX and on NASDAQ or on another international exchange, those investors have great comfort investing in our already public mature companies. So we don't really need our capital providers for the already established public companies to be local. It's in their interest for our pension funds and our major mutual funds and major hedge funds and public equity funds and institutional funds to participate in healthcare. They probably already do. They probably do invest in really large companies, right? Like Pfizer and whatever. But when it comes to Canadian public funds investing in and supporting Canadian headquartered healthcare funds, it honestly doesn't make a difference. They could take it or leave it. Excellent. Excellent. Very, very interesting. I want to talk about the future, obviously. Any innovation space, life sciences, it's really all about the future. We're trying to build a better future. And then let's talk about markets. So the markets have been quite volatile as of late. I think it's fair to say anyone that's in the market has noticed that and, and is really trying to navigate going forward. Obviously, in your position, you are very much at the forefront of the markets, particularly in life sciences. So where do you see things going, let's say, in the next 6 months, 12 months, 18 months? There's obviously the macro environment, and then there's the life sciences environment. So what are you seeing? What are you advising clients or investors or other stakeholders right now? Well, first, I should start with a caveat. As I've already told you, I have a biochemistry background. (laughs) I am not a market economist, and asking me to call the markets would be like asking my mother to call the markets, right? Like, I I don't know. Um, I get a sense that the broader markets, based on all the macroeconomic data and based on what I feel as a citizen, as a consumer, as a person who's educated and just reads the general press, the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, what's going on with interest rates, with employment, with markets. I get a sense that based on the huge pumping of liquidity and easing of monetary and fiscal policy over the past decade or more. It seems like we've been in crisis for 14 years, and that crisis has been fed with money and with government spending. That is probably going to take longer than people anticipate to unwind ourselves out of this mess that central bankers and governments have created. With that said, when I speak to friends of mine who participate in non-healthcare sectors, they've experienced a really gut-wrenching and difficult 2022. But when I speak to my healthcare investor friends, we have felt the pinch of the IPO window being closed, stock prices that are going down. We feel we're already 18 months into this bear market. So we were one of the first sectors to really get hit 2011 saw the biotech indices actually gap down 40 to 50%. And then another 40 to 50% in 2022. So we seem to be twice as long into this trough as other sectors. And it makes me feel that we will hit our bottom before other growth sectors hit their bottom, such as technology or clean tech or crypto or other things that I don't know much about and frankly don't care about. <laughs> So with that said, when I speak to the healthcare-dedicated hedge fund guys in New York and elsewhere, I feel that they are very excited about the prices that R&D stage highly innovative companies are trading at. They are salivating at the fact that many of these companies have 
insecure or bad balance sheets, and that they will be coming to market looking for capital to continue their R&D to cure cancer or Alzheimer's and do the important work that they do that creates value. And I really feel like we're at a place where now is a great time to be investing in R&D stage healthcare companies, whether it's the next you know, implantable hip or cure for diabetes. With that said, not entirely sure, and I'm not going to make a call as to whether those bets, if you were to place them now, are going to bear fruit in six months or 18 months or even three years. I don't know. It's hard to imagine that investing in the best companies now at these prices is a bad investment thesis if you have a medium to long-term view. That's great. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that turnaround is coming. There's a lot of great, great, great companies and ideas out there and innovations there that need capital and investors are very interested in them. So it's just a matter of time. Yeah. And specifically about healthcare, we do have other things moving in our direction. The other tailwinds, the two major ones I could speak of for at least R&D stage healthcare, I'm not talking about profitable companies that provide a software or a bunch of drugs to the market. Those companies with revenue or with profits trade in line with other revenue and profit stage industries. When all multiples go down, those companies will go down. If it's defensive or cyclical or growthy, they will have their day based on what other companies in other industries do that are like them. I'm mainly speaking about R&D stage biotechs or development stage companies who create value by generating evidence and data, generally preclinical or clinical evidence, right? Run a clinical trial, cure cancer, and have a big value, either in the market or as evidenced by a pharmaceutical company purchasing the smaller company. So the two major tailwinds, of course, are what I just touched on. Number one, our largest companies, the pharmas, are flush with cash. Pfizer alone is going to make like $100 billion this year on COVID drugs and vaccines and other things. They bought a TSX-listed company called Trillium just about eight months ago for $2.5 billion. That was a company that Bloomberton took public in 2014, and that was a great return for investors over time. So the pharma companies are flush with cash. They are desperate for innovation and the vast majority of the drugs that they launch that feed their patent cliffs and their older drugs that they no longer make money on, they acquire through acquiring biotech or partnering with biotech. So again, the demand side from the pharma is matched by this enormously innovative biotech industry. You know, it's kind of like the big leagues and the farm leagues, right? So It's the biotech that does the farm team. They're the ones that do the research, that create the innovation, and that bring it to a point where the pharmaceutical companies compete at crazy prices to buy these beautiful, innovative, and highly impactful medicines. The other major tailwind, of course, is the pace of innovation in the biotech industry and in the healthcare industry. The convergence of AI and technology and how that influences big data, big genetic data and genomic data, and how that influences our understanding of disease. This immensely powerful tools that are used to understand cells and tissues and systems and diseases 
as it's investigated in universities and in pharma companies and biotech companies, our understanding of disease and the tools we have to understand them is really light years forward compared to where it was, forget about 20 years ago, even 10 and five years ago. So that pace of innovation, the integration of technology and other tools to understand disease and the modalities that we now have to actually use as drugs, right? It's no longer just a pill, which is a small molecule or an antibody drug. On market now, we are starting to bring gene therapies and everyone, even generalists understand that Moderna and Pfizer have brought COVID vaccines, which rely on mRNA technology. Never before has have we brought a genetic drug of that category to market. And now we have many of them on the market. So our understanding of disease, new modern modalities to actually choose to make precision medicines. Our industry has never been better equipped to bring new medicines to market that are safe or efficacious as we are equipped right now. Fantastic. Well, Brian, this has been really, really fun. I'm so glad we were able to do have this conversation and have our listeners benefit from it as well. So are there any final thoughts that you'd want to leave with our listeners? And also, how can people reach you and your firm? I'll answer your last question first. You can go to bloomburton.com and my email address, bbloom at bloomburton.com is on the website. And I'm easily reachable through LinkedIn or just directly through email. With respect to closing thoughts, I'm very proud to say that Canada has kept pace with other jurisdictions. And in some areas of medical research, we have actually skipped forward where we'd have a leadership position internationally in areas like stem cells and other areas where Canada is a great place where innovation is born and invention is born, where companies are born in the healthcare space. And many of our companies do attract the best global people and the best global capital partners to create global companies. We are doing it across all areas of healthcare. And I'm very, very optimistic about the future of the Canadian healthcare sector. Brian Bloom, co-founder, CEO, and chairman of Bloom Burton & Co. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. And thank you for listening to TMX Presents, the podcast. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information on the life sciences sector on TSX and TSX Venture Exchange, please visit tsx.com forward slash life dash sciences. And for more insights from capital markets leaders and my TMX colleagues, please visit tmx.com forward slash POV.